episode 27 everyone uh one episode ago so episode 25 we covered is it too late to buy bitcoin and in the past couple of weeks we've heard from some people on um, how they experienced the frustration of convincing their uh, friends family colleagues to just take a look at this magical internet money I, I mean magical with a little bit of sarcasm and in this episode in episode number 27 what we want to cover is how long until someone decides to take the leap and actually go out and get some bitcoin this is what it's gonna be about folks so let's begin you are listening to go full crypto and i'm your host ragakshi palwin The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only. So my father called me a couple of days ago and he was telling me that he went through some of our podcasts and he directed, uh, he circulated a newsletter, Keegan, that you wrote on the five companies to have converted their cash reserves into Bitcoin, every company being one of them. And my, my dad said to me that he circulated that newsletter uh, among some of his colleagues, some of his uh, work clients. And uh, he, he was telling them to just look into it, to even consider converting 1% of their investments into Bitcoin. But everyone was turning a blind eye to what he was saying. Everyone or rather, I should, instead of saying everyone, I should say no one felt convinced enough to one, look into it, two, to take my dad seriously. Uh, and he's a very well-respected man. So he's not someone who uh, just pulls, pulls stunts like this on convincing people to do something uh, silly often. He's very well-read in his field and people respect him. Uh, and it wasn't like he was advising these people. He, he just said, look into it. This is the future. Just look into it. And he was met with a blind eye. Wait, this is actually something that he did. This is a story that you've told me where 30 years ago when with the, the internet, internet, yeah, the internet was coming out and he went to your school yep. in India, Pune, India, yeah. and said, hey, you should have a website. This is the reason why you should have a website. It connects you with the rest of the world. It, it is your presence. It just, yeah, it, it puts the way of the your, future. It puts this school on the on the, on the world's uh, stage, on the world stage. And, and so your dad actually has a little bit of credibility with does. respect to calling out technologies that. Yeah. Uh, they laughed him off then too. By the way, they they were just, uh, who's this man coming into the school? Um, what authority does he have? He just has two daughters that go here. Like, what ground does he have to say that the internet is going to be the thing? Um, yeah, and and like he, my dad also says this still. He says the first invention, the first yeah, the first invention is the wheel. The second is fire. Inventions that change the world, and the third is the internet. Um, and he started saying this around twenty five years ago um, because that's. What he truly believed, he says, internet is oxygen. So whenever we used to go travel and he didn't have a connection to the internet or he couldn't check his emails or read Twitter and news and whatever, he'd just be like, oh my gosh, I can't breathe. Where's the internet? <laughs> my dad has a sense of humor too. This reminds me of uh, a story that Peter Thiel, uh, the founder of PayPal, tells 
when they were building PayPal, they went to a lot of the banks. What? Sorry, I just wanted to interrupt you and say, and the fourth invention is Bitcoin. Sure. The the one yeah. that changed the world. I wanted to complete that four inventions that changed the world. Yeah. Uh, so Peter Thiel. Yeah, Peter Thiel. He's uh, he's going to these banks. He's going to because he's he's got to try and build this this internet money or internet money infrastructure. And he goes through his pitch deck and explains to them the idea of PayPal. And the number one question that Peter Thiel got while in the boardroom was, uh, well, what's the internet? Right? And it's like, okay, cool. So people can't really see what's coming, n- nor do they ask the right questions. Like, the, that is the first question to ask, I suppose. What is Bitcoin? What is the internet? Oh, well, we, we experienced this this week because you were calling a couple of bookkeepers to see whether to uh, have a bookkeeper be with us. And yep. So why don't you tell the story? Sure. Yeah, I called like 15 bookkeepers and, uh, well, much to my uh, demise or chagrin, uh, most of them didn't even pick up the phone. But the ones that did pick up the phone, I uh, had a couple that after I muttered the words, hey, we deal with Bitcoin, uh, like we pay our contractors, we take our salary in Bitcoin. Uh, they're like, oh, uh, yeah, we're not interested in taking you on as a client. So there's like a complete adversity. But didn't, wasn't there one call where someone asked you what Bitcoin was? Yeah, yeah, there was. Yeah. So the, I, I had a couple that just hung up the phone. I had one that says, oh, I, I don't even know what Bitcoin is. So uh, like, I'm not sure how I can help you. It's like, true, true. <laughs> you don't know how you could help me because you don't know of the way that things are going to be done here in the future. That's true. I remember in LinkedIn a couple months ago, I saw this accountant also post um, this post, I guess, on LinkedIn saying that I cannot imagine a world where accountants and bookkeepers do not know the technology of Bitcoin. And I read that and I took a screenshot of it and I've been wanting to get in touch with that person. But now that I'm reminded of this screenshot that lies in my phone, I should probably go do that. But they were right. How can, I mean, Bitcoin is a technology that essentially supplements the jobs of accountants and bookkeepers in the most efficient way possible. Not, like, yeah, not knowing about this technology is like not knowing that you can... Uh, light a candle with um, a match instead of um, what's the flint? Yeah, sure. Was that a really bad analogy? I was going to say it's kind of like not knowing that you can send an email to get a message around the world. There. Yeah. <laughs> That's a better one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it does. It simplifies a lot of the job of bookkeepers and accountants. There's, it, it is not difficult to see where one payment came from anymore. If that payment's done on a blockchain based network like Bitcoin, we can we have these things called block explorers and it's kind of like google maps for bitcoin where you can type in any bitcoin address and you get to see all the transactions that have ever taken place um, with respect to that address and it's a very useful tool and uh, i was speaking to my bookkeeper today he's like uh, is there some sort of software uh, yeah by the way we did find a, a bookkeeper <laughs> <laughs> and uh he said, is there some sort of tool that I can like look at and see your Bitcoin transactions, just an export of sorts? And I was like, uh, yeah, totally, man. It was such a weird question for me to hear because I was just like, oh, duh, duh, that exists. Like it's a blockchain based network, man. Like, of course, yeah, I can get this. But people don't know that. And you don't mean to um, make fun of no. this person. No, I don't at all. It just um, sometimes it reminds us that because we're so involved in this particular field there's still a lot of catching up to do 
for other people because yeah, totally. people have lives <laughs> and people's lives aren't necessarily involved about, uh, around money and how their money is impacted. Which is kind of leads us back to the way that we wanted to start this uh, episode, which is what is the pain that people feel that triggers them to go and look into Bitcoin and eventually purchase it or acquire it in one way or another? And and how long does that take? Well, to go one step further down that rabbit hole, it's also uh, what is this philosophy around this new self-sovereign money and just being fascinated by it. Um, I, I mean, I've seen people be fascinated by the latest phone and they always want to get the latest phone and the latest any sort of technology device. And um, those sort of fancies are awesome. And this is just that kind of same fancy in a direction of efficient money inefficient transactions and you know that's a rabbit hole that we encourage people to, to go down when they have the time but for for those who don't then this is a podcast that helps you understand why we're so passionate about what we do and why looking into it matters so coming back to you saying what what is going to trigger people to look into this well in the case of the episode episode 10 with Ali Hamam, the one that we shot or recorded, it was the first interview where Ali Hamam is um, one of the owners at Tahini's Restaurant. It's a restaurant chain in Ontario, Canada. And um, if I recall correctly, one of the reasons that made them look into turning their cash reserves into Bitcoin is because they needed a better store of value for their, for their money. And I remember him distinctly saying that um, while the government has benefits for uh, workers to uh, who have been laid off or furloughed, is that a term? Yeah, furloughed during the pandemic. Uh, sure. Is that the correct term? I have no idea, actually. I wouldn't oh, be able to define the word furloughed. I've heard it being spot. talked about, so I'm just trying to sound smart. But <laughs> okay, <laughs> so laid off temporarily because of the pandemic, because of the restaurants needed to be closed. Um, the, sometimes the supplementation of an income without having to put work in for it isn't the best for restaurant owners because when it's time to call upon the people that used to work for them previously, if someone is getting money for putting in no effort at all, why would they sometimes want to go back to putting in effort to get money? I remember that. That I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up. That's so interesting, right? Because these people that used to work in this restaurant were making less than what the government was going to pay them during the pandemic. And yeah, because they couldn't work. And while that is a temporary solution to a problem, it's not a very long-term solution to the same problem. Well, it got Ali Hamam like thinking along the lines of, okay, uh, since I can't hire these workers, like where is that money coming from that the government's paying them for? How come the government pay them uh, for for essentially doing nothing, sitting at home, uh, while I I still have the need for work and I still have money to pay for work? It's just that I can't pay them more more than what these people are getting offered elsewhere. Yeah. And that led Ali down the uh the rabbit, the rabbit hole, <laughs> so to speak. And and he had a very quick transition on on the note of like timelines and how long does it take from the time you yeah. hear about it to the time you buy. It was like I was really surprised when I buy heard Buy into the idea even, not even buy Bitcoin or convert your cash reserves into Bitcoin. It's buy into the idea of the self sovereign money. Yeah. It was really fast for him, like five, six months basically. I remember it being three, but you know, to get better on the numbers, you can just check out episode 10 with Ali Hamam. It was a fantastic episode. Um, so talking about triggers again, what triggered him to look into an alternative form of preserving 
the cash reserves for a Chinese restaurant was the fact that uh, he couldn't hire back some of um, the waiters or the, some of the staff that worked at his restaurant chain. And that was that was a trigger for him. Um, what was the trigger for you? Let's revisit that topic. Me? Yeah. The trigger for me was feeling disenfranchised by the state of the, the monetary system and the way that it was run. Just I've, I was I have been uncomfortable with the fact that it's run by people that I, I don't know and it's uh, able to be taken advantage of. And that's I, I knew that at the time, like 2008 ish, but I, I couldn't quite piece all of that together until much later when I uh, I had a better understanding of economics in general. And because it did, it's a really complicated discussion, right? Like, okay, who is who are we to say that it was the wrong decision to print lots of money to bail people out? Right. It's probably not for us to say that uh, that's not really the point either at the end of the day of what we're talking about. The point that we're, we're saying is like, let's build a system that doesn't have those levers uh, embedded within it that allows for the manipulation of our monetary system. So for me, it was a systemic pain. It was a, it was a pain that I am a part of a system that I don't believe in. And uh, and if I had a tool, if there was a tool that I could use or to opt out of that system, I would. And for me, I didn't learn that Bitcoin was that tool until uh, like 2015, 2016. And so as soon as I learned that that was the, 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 the medicine for my pain, I was in. I was sold immediately because, it, well, I mean, it, you know, if you're a salesperson and I'm, I'm, no one sold me the idea of Bitcoin, I had to sell it to myself. Uh, yeah. Did you have some to add there? Yeah, yeah. Because in a recent blog post that you wrote, you did say that it's just the blog post for is it too late to buy Bitcoin? It right. took you two years to, to pull that trigger. Right. Yeah. So I learned about Bitcoin in 2013. I didn't realize it, it was the medicine to my pain until 2015. Yeah. And as soon as I sold the idea to myself, as soon as I put those pieces together and said, oh, you know what? This is a monetary system governed by math and not humans. That was it. That was all I needed to understand. And I was sold. I was all in. More yeah. Or less. Yeah. Actually, the first time now that I think of it, the first time I heard of Bitcoin was in 20. 13 i think no not 2013 way before that i think a friend i was in australia for a violin conference and um someone that i knew who was also there was telling me about bitcoin and he he said well have you heard of bitcoin and i wanted to sound smart so i said yes yeah it's that uh, it's that thing on the internet <laughs> good guess <laughs> yeah um and he was doing something with it i don't remember the rest of that conversation but that's when i heard of it but i obviously wasn't i guess um uh, i didn't want to follow up my smart answer with uh with some actual <laughs> evidence of having known what bitcoin was so i didn't really look into it that much but i i actually bought bitcoin out of uh, fear of missing out in 2018 it was after you called me in 2017 and 2017 freaking out about your bitcoin investments so that's your pain then. Like my, my pain was my pain was not missing out you're right that is so Correct. I didn't want to miss out on this um, opportunity of uh, being part of something new and exciting in the technology sphere, and um, that was essentially why I bought in. And I'm 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 proud of myself for admitting to that fact and being able to acknowledge it because it's it's really difficult when you don't know your reasons and you you don't uh, you're you're essentially <laughs> in the industry um denying yourself the reasons why you got into it in the first place and why you're continuing to be in it so no i'm not continuing to be in it because i'm 
Um, I have the fear of missing out on where this is going to lead to, but I definitely uh, bought into it for the first time because I didn't want to miss out. And it was also because I didn't want to miss out on the form of investment. I didn't want to miss out on a chance of making money. And in, in, so I guess, yeah, my pain point was not being able to miss out. And the reason why I pulled that trigger and I made that decision was because you were doing it, Keegan. You were so involved in it and you were uh, still just, you still are. Yeah. But in 2018, <laughs> 27, 2018, you were so entrenched in the space. And I just, um, I felt like I needed to be entrenched in it as well. So I bought in. Well, one of the reasons why I'm so entrenched is because I actually think it has the ability to change the world fundamentally and, yeah, yeah, and I actually do too solve now. <laughs> some of the world's biggest problems, some of the world's pains, not just my pain, I not, agree. not pain on an individual level, but pain on a like a global widespread level, which is great. That's that's the best way that I can be spending my time. Yes. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> no, I'm saying that I agree. I'm just um, laughing at my 2018 self who didn't know what she was doing. Um, and now has a better idea. <laughs> so thinking and talking about other pains, we did an episode with Michael Peterson, director of Bitcoin Beach. And that story is also very fascinating. We recommend that you hear it. Um, and just a quick recap, there is this community, this beach community in El Salvador, where um, it's called Bitcoin Beach. It's named Bitcoin Beach because um, that community is... Uh, Michael. Wow, I'm really... Not able to summarize this. Let me start again. Sorry, folks. Bear with me here. Michael Peterson was given a donation of a certain amount of Bitcoin from a random uh, or an anonymous donor to fuel this entire small beach town with Bitcoin to form a circular economy. It was initially meant to um, sort of jumpstart that little... Um, town with uh, wow, Keegan. I'm really failing to put words here. I love what's your the head. what's the end point that we're, we're we're trying to reach here, and I, that I can I can get us there. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's um the trigger. What was the trigger for uh, a Bitcoin beach to have existed? That's a good. So I I think it was the anonymous person's uh, like prerogative to install or to to conduct this experiment. The the right I think the right way to think about it is. Uh, that Bitcoin has been hailed as this thing that can bring a lot of people who are unbanked into the world of finance and uh, give them better banking services. So I think this is more the conversation of people's unconscious pain or the pain that they don't like the, the way that people accept the world as is without knowing that there's a better alternative. Because those people were living their lives. They had uh, their peso, their El Salvadorian peso, and they were able to go to the market and buy food with it. But you know what else? They they also were able to take that peso, put it in the mail and pay their power bill. Or they were able to drive that money to the power station and pay their power bill. But what if they were able to pay it instantly, remotely? Uh, what if they didn't have the fear of that mail, uh, that money getting stolen from the mail? Right. What if there's a way to have an end to end or a peer to peer transaction take place where they had instant verification that their power bill was paid? And that's the pain that they didn't know that there was a solution for. So there's lots of people that this applies to, that you're, you're taking for granted um, the way that money works in the world. You're not really thinking about ways that it could be better, because in all honesty, a lot of the places in the world, it's already very good. And then a lot of places, it's either non-existent or could be way better. 
And Bitcoin's hailed as this thing that can make it way better for people. And so this anonymous individual who probably has a fair amount of Bitcoin decided it would be a good experiment to install Bitcoin into a community of people uh, where their quality of life could be drastically improved and start jumpstart a Bitcoin micro economy. And that, that's the pain that I think this person, uh, this anonymous individual was trying to solve. Like, is it even possible? I want to know for sure if a Bitcoin microeconomy uh, is even a thing that would work in 2018, 2019, 2020. And so um, I don't know. Did I, <laughs> did I manage to capture your intention with bringing up El Zante? Yes, you did. Okay. Thank you so much for capturing it so succinctly and being so direct with it. I think that there's a couple of really interesting directions that we can take the conversation, and that's that unconscious pain, that that acceptance of the way that things are, uh, as a um, as a way of not wanting to make things better or not uh, not taking the initiative to make things better for yourself. It's like that's what I see a lot of the time in developed nations. So when I have conversations with Bit about Bitcoin with people in Canada, United States, uh, Europe. Uh, usually the conversation is, well, why would I use it? Why would I use it for anything? I mean, I have all of these great financial services and my US dollar is just fine the way it is. It's like, okay, sure, fine. Could it be better? What are, like, is there anything that, do you have complaints about it? Because chances are we can address some of those complaints or some of those pains with uh, some of that Bitcoin medicine. Yeah, another pain point or another trigger that I was thinking of was uh, with respect to protests and whistleblowers. So um, a couple of months ago with protests um, in Hong Kong, as well as protests in the United States uh, for several reasons, they need to be funded in some way because people still need money to uh, in order to make something happen, make rallies and make protests. You just, yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> wow, I'm failing to put a sentence together right now. I'm not sure why. Anyway, to come back to the point, um, in order to make these transactions successful, in order to support someone in Hong Kong or someone in the States, the best way to send them money in an uncensored format, being sure and staying rest assured that that this money will reach them is via a censorship resistance technology, which is Bitcoin. So in Hong Kong and in, in America, there's actually a book that um, um, saw the shelves again um, and received much light in this past year. It's called Bitcoin and Black America. And it's, it's a very interesting book because it talks about censorship resistance and how um, using Bitcoin as a currency that cannot be taken away from you. You, you it, it, is, it gives you the power, the freedom to have access to your money at all times. And um, it compared that to a lot of... Um... I got you covered. Thank you. So <clears throat> some of the times with protests, and they, they, you're right, they need to be organized. There needs to be some sort of money that goes into maybe making the materials or organizing the rally or transportation to the rally so that the organizers can make the rally bigger. Uh, if one tactic that uh, centralized law enforcement could use in order to thwart the, uh, the, well, the protests is uh, capital control. So they can freeze the bank account. If they can identify the bank account where this organization is holding their money, then they can stop that money from being used to make the 
the movement larger than the law enforcement would would like it to be. Now, all of this is aside of whether or not that's a, a good uh, protest or not. We're not talking about that. We're talking about basically people's right to go and protest and then their right to have money to fund that protest in general. Like, or access to money. Right. So for us, we think access to money is a, a fundamental human right. And when government imposes capital control on these protests, they're not only interrupting your right to have money, they're interrupting your right to protest in a meaningful way. Uh, and that's that's wrong. So all of that fits under the umbrella of capital control. And we've, we don't feel that all that often here in... Uh, in, in developed nations, Canada, United States, uh, Europe, but capital control is a really large problem in other countries. Uh, and I'll give you one example. In, uh, in Argentina, if you were holding uh, the peso uh, in Argentina in 2019, uh, sorry, if you're holding the US dollar in, a, in an Argentinian bank account, uh, an example of a capital control is the bank was automatically forced by the government to convert that US dollar into uh, the Argentinian peso, which was devaluing. And so I was holding US dollars and then overnight I was holding the Argentinian peso. And then the next night that peso devalued uh, through government inflation by a factor of 90%. And this, this story comes from Michael Saylor. And we've talked a little bit about him uh, on the podcast before. He's the gentleman, the CEO of MicroStrategy, the company that converted 425 million US dollars into Bitcoin. He was talking about how he had a million dollars in uh, in U.S. dollars in an Argentinian bank account one day, and then the next day he had eighty thousand U.S. dollars worth of Argentinian peso, and that happened overnight. And that's a capital control. And so that this is this kind of goes back to what um, Ali Hamam was talking about. Was just like, do I have the right to own my money? Do, like, what is the ability for someone else to take away? the value that I have earned slash accrued slash worked for. And uh, that that's super relevant. To, that's a pain that's relevant for people all over the world um, in protests, in developed nations and in non-developed nations. And that's that's a really relevant pain. And one of the main pains that cryptocurrency in general solves, in, in my opinion, I think as privacy and privacy is eroded and control, government control is increased into the future. This is the thing that I think that will throw cryptocurrency straight into the mainstream. It will it like, either through government inflation or increased government control, people will start to realize that cryptocurrency solves that pain of theirs of having their money controlled by someone that's not them. And uh, essentially, that I feel that speaks to their feeling that money is a human right. Money that the right to own money, the right to own your value directly. Uh, people feel this, right? And so, like, if I walked up to you on the street and took $5 out of your pocket, you'd have something to say about that, right? But when that's done through inflation, or if that's done because the government suddenly wanted to convert your money in, in the bank account into something else, something that you didn't value, uh, it's basically the same thing. They walked up to you and, st and stole your money, or they walked up to you and took your US dollar and uh, and gave you something else in return. Maybe they gave you sand. I don't know. That's just a, a simple example. But uh, that's not right. And uh, cryptocurrency solves that. That's the medicine for that problem. That was a macro rant right there. <laughs> yeah. Murgis just looking at me staring. <laughs> um, 
Okay, well, so we've discussed some triggers that have caused you and I and pe some people that we know to jump on the train of allocating some of their investments into crypto. And now we turn our questions to you. Well, where are you in your crypto journey? Are you still deciding whether or not it is a good investment to make it if it is a good store, um, store value for your money? Are you still getting educated? And if you are, that's fantastic if you're that kind of person who wants to know everything first and then get into something just know that there's a lot to know so you might be spending a ton of time and the best way that we decided when we used to host physical workshops is we would um, give people 10 Canadian dollars worth of bitcoin just so that they have it just so that you can look at it into look at it on your mobile wallet and watch it and experiment with it and just see how it works so if you are in that phase where you, you don't still want to decide um, to make a large investment, then make a small investment to just experiment with it. And um, to those of you that are on the brink of making that uh, decision, if you need any assistance, if you want a guidance from us, please reach out. And for those of you listening and watching who have already pulled the trigger, who have made investments in crypto, who have experienced some sort of pain point, and uh, who have triggers that um, are different from the ones that we've currently expressed in this particular episode, we'd love for you to reach out to us and tell us about your story so we can feature it and share it with our audience so that other people can also take note from it. Right. Yeah. And having said that, we have created a set of courses on understanding the fundamentals of cryptocurrency. The way that you can find it is on learn.gofullcrypto.com. We will also attach it in the show notes. Just it's, it's you know, the fundamentals of cryptocurrency, Cryptocurrency 101, there are three courses. Take a look through the video, see what you can learn if you have any, um, if you gain any insights or learn anything new from it. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, but if not, it's just another resource for you to uh, look at and make yourself more aware of what's happening in the cryptocurrency world. And with that, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Don't forget to share this particular episode or any of our episodes with your friends and colleagues if you want, um, you want them to also have access to the amazing content that we're putting out. We hope to bring this out to as many people as possible and with your help, you're, you're our um, fuel. fuel for that matter. Yeah, you're the ones who help us get to more people. So we so appreciate you telling your friends and colleagues about it. And also, if you're watching on YouTube, don't hang forget to hit that subscribe button. Depending on where you're hearing this from, don't forget to uh, hit that subscribe button as well. And that's, that's my marketing run for this episode. Fantastic, everyone. Thank you for listening and watching and stay tuned. <laughs>